All right, could you please turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Each week I am keenly aware of the fact that this is a letter between the apostle, an apostle and a pastor. All right, the last words of the apostle Paul to Timothy, his son in the faith, who ministered in Ephesus. And what that means is, is that there's a bridge that we have to walk over each week, so to speak, uh, in order to apply this text. I'm not an apostle, and I don't imagine many of you are pastors. But what this letter does tell us, and what we should all focus on, is what these words mean for ministry, and specifically ministry in uh, the local church. The priorities that the Apostle Paul wished to keep central Right, the non-negotiables that mattered greatly to him. These are weighty words from Paul, the last written words of his before he dies. And one of the reasons I chose to, to use 2 Timothy as we began the, uh, the 5 p.m. service is so that we might wrestle with the Apostle Paul's words for the church and specifically his admonition to continue in the gospel. Next week, we're going to focus on just one verse, verse 8, all right, which is Christ being the risen from the dead, the offspring of David. I want to talk about why that matters. I get to choose what I preach, so I was like, I like that idea, but I said maybe it will encourage you as well. Some of the implications of that truth. What is, why is it a big deal that Christ is from the line of David, right? So today we're going to read the first uh, nine verses of 2 Timothy chapter 2, and we'll see that grace strengthens the church so that the ministry of the Word can continue with Christ through suffering and opposition until the end. Grace strengthens. All right, let's read uh, the Word of the Lord, starting verse 1. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to a faithful people who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. The offspring of David is preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. The word the living God. I want to focus on, on, on four words which, which open this text up. Right? One's a phrase, be strengthened. Strengthened, be strengthened. Right? It's not strengthen yourself, it's be strengthened. So be strengthened in trust, suffer, and remember. Those four. First one's be strengthened. Be strengthened by grace that is in Christ Jesus. Where's grace? 
in Christ Jesus. Right? Grace is a gift. Gifts are received with open hands. You don't work for a gift and then say, oh, thank you for giving that to me. No, when you work for something, you've earned it. A gift is, is, is given. Now, some people use the language of unmerited favor. If you say, what, what is grace? And they say, it's unmerited favor. It's favor that you've not earned. Uh, it's not a bad definition. It's a good definition. Uh, but I like, I love the words of Meredith Klein. He says, it's grace's demerited favor. It's de Anyone got demerit points in their license before? I haven't had any in 12 years. Um, but demerits, that we've actually earned the opposite. At grace, we've, we've earned the opposite of grace. We're not deserving it at all. It's not just a gift to an innocent party, it's a gift to a guilty party. Demerited favor. Gifts are not earned. And for them to be demerited by us, to be given, they have to be merited by Christ. Christ earned them. Everything given is intrinsic or earned by Christ. That he lived the life of obedience to God's law that we could not and did not live. That he, as the Son of God, had a place in the household of God. The inheritance that he's able to give to us. When we say we are adopted into the household of God as children of God, he's giving us a place at the table. It's a gift, but it's Christ. The older brother welcomes us in and gives us the inheritance, his inheritance, an imperishable inheritance, Peter says. And we are sealed with the gift of the Holy Spirit, which Christ himself sends from the throne above. And so therefore we say, what can separate us from the love of God? Because of grace can't be separated when God's just giving these good gifts to his people all the time. John 1, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. The law came through Moses. Grace and truth came through the Lord Jesus Christ. This is good. How does grace, he says, be strengthened by grace. How does grace strengthen us? Grace strengthens by continually pointing us away from ourselves to another for our security. I don't know about you, but I always find a way to mess things up. Grace comes from outside. Our righteousness comes from outside. It's in Christ. Our, our place at the table comes from outside. It's because of Him that we're invited in. All we need is found there so we can continue on. That's what grace does. It strengthens us because it tells us it's not about us. It tells us a place and it shows how blessed we are. The Christian life is a continual drawing upon the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That there is a, a literal ocean that I keep scooping grace out of. You do not exhaust that grace. You don't. You can't. 
And it's like, oh, do I keep asking God for that? Do I keep asking God for forgiveness? Would you go over to the beach down in Foxton with a cup and scoop out water continually and think you're going to exhaust the ocean? That's what grace is. Continual reservoir of the favor of God for the people of God. You never exhaust it. Where do we, where do we get it? Well, it's in Christ. And so we ask for it in prayer. We, we are given it. Jesus is committed to giving it to his people. We receive it and it strengthens us as we hear the vis- in the visible words of the gospel and in the, in, in the Lord's Supper and baptism, we are strengthened by, by grace. We are, we are stirred and strengthened by grace as we as we sing and as we pray and as we as we read and we hear his word we, we 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 speak words of grace to one another when we encourage and we build up and speak truth i want to say this to you when you gather for a worship service in the morning or the evening Do you think primarily about coming to give something to God? It's not wrong to say that we give God glory. It's not wrong to say that we worship Him. But ultimately, as we we worship, it is God who serves us. The God who serves in grace. That, that Christ serves you, that the, that the Holy Spirit turns our, our hearts and our minds and our affections to God and it stirs us up in grace. That as we behold the Lord Jesus Christ, we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. That God is... You behold the Lord and as you rest in His work and you, you're grateful for what He's done for you, that's grace is... God is serving you. He is is strengthening you. He is giving you what you need. Sometimes we have this view that when we we, we go to pray or we we go to worship that we're, we're giving God something that He's lacking. He's not lacking anything. We are. And so He gives. The ancient of days does not get tired. He does not need strengthening, but we do. Be strengthened by grace that we might continue. The second word is entrust. Look in verse 2. Entrust to faithful people. In uh, verses 13 and 14 of chapter 1, uh, Paul has been telling Timothy to, to pass on the pattern of sound words. Right? I'm not going to re-preach that uh, that message, and he says, God, look after, keep the, the good deposit, that this, this understanding of the faith, the understanding of the Old Testament, make sure this truth about Jesus Christ, that he is the Messiah, according to the Word of God, make sure that this continues. Look after it. Don't twist it. Right? The gospel is a message. It's a message of redemption in Jesus Christ. God gave us a, a Bible of, of, of words to be to passed on, to be taught, to be read, to be b- believed. 
and to be handed to the next generation and the generation after that as a message. He didn't give a, a shield or a statue or anything else. He gave a, a word. And that word creates a people. And that people protects the word and takes it on. And so primarily to, to Timothy, when Paul's speaking to Timothy during trust, he's, he's, this is a charge to church leadership. This is a charge to elders and pastors and so on. It says, find faithful men and women and people who are reliable and, and they're not liars and that they're, they're willing to be responsible with the truth of God and pass it to them so that they might pass it on to others. So what this means for me as a, as a pastor is I need to be spending a significant amount of time learning from this to make sure I'm working with, with, with leaders and, uh, and potential pastors and potential church planters. And honestly, I feel like I definitely don't do enough, but there's a, a challenge here to, to share the load. Right? This church has, has, has grown and, and continues to grow, and I, I say this on a smaller evening, uh, but you got to prepare for what's next. You prepare for what's next. You pass on. Timothy is a young pastor, very likely under the age of 30, being told to think beyond himself. How about your ministry? Your ministry is passing the ministry on to others. Right? So the Word of God must be reverberating around, bouncing off the walls everywhere and passing on. And so that's got an application for everyone here. For, for, for families, for within the church, for couples, for friends, with ministries of the gospel that we're constantly seeking to, to, to receive and to pass on. And, and so that the Word does its work. Right? Know your Bibles, know the gospel, have an understanding of doctrine, learn how to, to judge with discernment. And be able to, to read the Bible with other people. Can you take the Bible and just read it with someone? Can you read it with an unbeliever? Can you share some of the truths in it and pass it on so that the Holy Spirit might work through the Word? We can't forget that truth. And it says you're entrusting truth to the next generation, we can't forget that our, our standard for faith and practice is the Word of God. It's the Word of God. And it's written by chosen men inspired by the Holy Spirit. Who wrote the Bible? The Holy Spirit wrote the Bible. It's His book. And so He uses it. Right? We want that to, to reverberate around. And I think what I find so encouraging when we think of this word ministry and the word going out and the Spirit using it and it's just being entrusted to the next generation and just going out is then you get to the end of verse 9. But the Word of God is not bound. It's not bound. Right? Paul's in prison. Paul is bound. He's in chains. That's what that means. He's in chains. He's going absolutely nowhere. He says, the Word of God is not bound. Martin Luther, famous quote, I just want to read it. 
Um, Luther was problematic, okay? I understand that, okay? But he says this, he's talking about the, uh, in his debates with the Pope and the Catholic Church and the Reformation, he says, take myself as an example. I imposed indulgences, right? Being able to buy people's way out of purgatory, right? I opposed indulgences and all the papists, but never with force. With force, I simply taught, preached, and wrote God's word. Otherwise, I did nothing. And while I slept or drank Wittenberg beer with my friends Philip and Armsdorf, the word so greatly weakened the papacy that no prince or emperor ever inflicted such losses upon it. I did nothing. The word did everything. I love that. Do you know that a few weeks ago we baptized someone and they came to faith during lockdown? Level four. And so we were, in a sense, bound. We couldn't really go anywhere. But the word wasn't bound. And she heard the gospel. She heard of Christ and she believed. That's what Paul's saying. The ministry of the word, we protect it, we entrust it, and then he says we suffer for it. This is a bit that we don't like. Suffering, Paul says, is not a bug, but a future. He says share in suffering. He's, Timothy is facing opposition. He's facing ridicule. Paul is in prison. In 64 AD, uh, there was a massive fire in, in, in Rome. And what, who did the emperor Nero blame? Christians. It's not a very popular status to be a Christian at this time a few years later. And then you've got, to add to that, you've got a crucified Messiah, a crucified Savior. Not a very popular uh, messianic figure. Believe in this God hanging on a tree. So there's a constant temptation to, to change the message. And Paul says, no, 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 Timothy, here's some illustrations for you. He uses three, a soldier, an athlete, and a hard-working farmer. Each of these illustrations has got a different attribute. The soldier doesn't get entangled in civilian pursuits. Right? He's got a single-minded devotion to not drop his main duty. That's what soldiers do. The athlete, we're told, their attribute is they follow the rules of the game. They don't invent their own rules. You're playing soccer, you just change to playing rugby. It's not going to go well. You're not going to win, even though it's an improvement. Um, um, And and then you've got a farmer. And, And a farmer, they work hard in season. Farmers work hard, and they're in season and out of season, and they're constantly planning, they're constantly working. Each illustration puts forward an attribute to help us understand how we're supposed to to live and how Timothy is supposed to, to suffer well. And then each illustration brings with it a motivation. What's the motivation that these three people are put forward for. The soldier wishes to please the one who enlisted him. He is on duty for his captain. Hebrews 2.10, right? Jesus Christ is the captain of our salvation. 
He wished to please the one who enlisted us. The athletes don't motivation. They want to win the prize at the end of the competition. And so the, the farmer is motivated by the share of crop at the end. He's motivated by the result. And all of this, this adds up to say, hey, Timothy, continue in this. Hey, church, continue in this. Continue in the ministry of the gospel because there is an end to it and there will be fruit. Suffering and, and opposition, and we, we, for the most part in this country, get it incredibly easy. They force people to want to quit. I don't know if you've ever run. I mean, I haven't, but um, if you've gone for a run, being tired makes you want to quit. Being makes, tired makes uh, cowards of us all. And in this case, it causes the, the, the church to want to change its message. Opposition causes the temptation to fall away from the harder parts. Do I really need to repent of sin? Do I, is, is Christ really the only way? And comfort, on the other hand, I will say comfort and prosperity are also equally dangerous because they cause us to divert our way as well. But he says, no, be strengthened by God's grace and continue. Continue in this. Expect difficulty. It's not a lack of God's favor when you suffer opposition because that's how the ministry and life go throughout the, wor the world. And there, however, is reward at the end. The farmer will harvest the crop. The athlete who competes well will receive the prize. Grace came through suffering. Jesus Christ died before he rose again and ascended to the right hand. Don't let that stop you. And so he then says, remember Jesus Christ. Oh, I'm serious. That is such a phrase. That is such a word. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. Jesus suffered. Jesus died. Jesus faced opposition. But our captain is risen. Paul is saying that as we continue in ministry, as we continue in disappointment, as we continue in the church, as the word goes forth, and as the gospel goes out, it's not difficulty with no end. It's not toil with no point. He says, because Christ is risen. Because of Christ, there's an end to it. Paul is making it very clear, something that is true all throughout Scripture, that there is a battle that rages in the world. There's a battle that rages in the world. There's the, our own flesh and there's the devil. And this battle is fought properly, not with the sword made out of steel, but the church fights with the sword made of the Word wielded by the Spirit. The Word of God. Right? The sword and the power of the Spirit converts and tears down strongholds. It doesn't kill God's enemies, but it has them join Christ's kingdom. And as that battle rages, the resurrection from the dead 2,000 years ago is proof, it's proof that the war is won and defeat will never ever be on the scorecard at the end for Christ's church. Do you know that when Jesus says 
the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, Matthew 16. That's because of the resurrection. That's because Christ is risen from the dead. That's why the gates will not prevail against the church, because Christ is risen, therefore he will win. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Remember Jesus Christ. We're going to go now to, to the Lord's Supper. We celebrate together for, for believers in Christ. And there's a word. There's a word that Jesus used, a phrase, sorry, that Jesus used. And he says, do this in remembrance of me. You heard that? Do this in remembrance of me. It's not a repeat memorial service for someone who died. Because Christ is risen. Remember Jesus Christ. And when Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me, he's not saying, oh, remember me as a far-off, long-back memory. He's saying, I am risen. I am Lord. I am ascended. Call to mind, set your mind on me. Continually remember me. It's his present continuous tense. Continually remember me. He is alive now. Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. When Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me, he's saying, call me to mind and all my blessings and benefits and all my grace now. And continue to do so in the future. I have sent my spirit. I will be with you always to the end of the age, he says. And Jesus reminds us that as we wait for his return and the fullness of his kingdom, do this in remembrance of me. He says, know that we belong to him. Know that all those who trust in Christ as their Lord and Savior, that he will give us all the grace that we need. And do you know how, because we're weak and we're feeble, you know how he continually reminds us? By shocking us with the truth that he broke his body and poured out his blood and death to make us his. Something amazing and crazy, really, really crazy happens when you eat and you drink. The risen Lord says, I gave myself for you. I gave myself, not just in an inconvenient way, I gave myself in the fullest possible way. I gave my entire life to make you mine, to cleanse you of your sins, and to bring you in. And I will continually strengthen you by grace so that you can endure to the end when I return. And you will enjoy the fullness of my kingdom. That's great. Amen?